But moments like this, I think it's important to remember what terrorists and violent extremists are trying to do. Terrorize us? It's working. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. No, I'm not scared. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica with you. Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, and 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on 93FM WLRI News Radio. In Hawaii, on 88.5FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, the Green Renaissance Network, 94.1FM. In Palinville, New York, on 102.9FM WLPP. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul, on the great AM950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And yep, coast to coast and around the world, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, five days a week, blanketing planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, and many, many other people. I can prove it from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. Well, following on the heels of a number of attacks on Muslims in New York City and elsewhere in the country last week, as we reported on the broadcast, a weekend of bombings and attempted bombings suspected to have been carried out by an Islamic New Jersey man, an American citizen of Afghani descent, continues to unfold today with that main suspect, now in custody after a shootout with police today, Ahmad Khan Rahami, 28 years old, was shot and taken into custody in connection with the blasts uh, after authorities identified him as a person of interest in three separate explosions in New York and New Jersey over the last three days. According to uh, NBC News, Rahami was the man seen on video in Manhattan's Chelsea neighborhood where a pressure cooker detonated Saturday night, leaving 29 people injured, all of whom have now been uh, treated and released from the hospital. There were no life-threatening injuries there. The two other blasts occurred in New Jersey, the first on Saturday morning in Seaside Park before a charity race for Marines and the second early Monday morning in Elizabeth, New Jersey. No one was hurt in either of those uh, New Jersey explosions, which authorities said were caused by pipe bombs. The pressure cooker device that had not detonated, another one was found in New York, several blocks away from the uh, from the original detonation in Chelsea on 23rd Street. Back, uh, I used to live a block or two from there. And several unexploded pipe bombs were found in New Jersey as well. Fingerprints on one of the devices helped authorities pinpoint Rahami as a person of interest. A senior law enforcement official told NBC News surveillance video and information on cell phones connected to at least two of the unexploded devices that were found also helped the authorities identify Rahami, who is from Elizabeth, New Jersey. The official said uh, he certainly seemed to do virtually nothing to cover his tracks 
that official told NBC. 1,000 state troopers and National Guard soldiers have been deployed in the past uh, 24, 48 hours to provide extra security in New York City. A senior U.S. intel official told NBC that there is no indication that ISIS was involved, but the terror group may try to take credit. They should not be claiming credit for this since they don't deserve it, the official said. President Barack Obama also assured people uh, in New York and New Jersey on Monday that they were protected. He said, I want to take this opportunity to reassure people in this city, this region and Americans across the country and counterterror that counterterror professionals at every level are working together around the clock to prevent attacks and to keep us safe. Said Obama, authorities said surveillance video showed the same man on 23rd Street where the blast went off in Chelsea and on 27th Street where a pressure cooker that did not explode was found. The pipe bombs that were detonated in New Jersey on Saturday morning uh, and the two pressure cookers in New York. Actually, I guess that was Sunday morning, uh, late Saturday night, early Sunday morning. And the two pressure cookers in New York, they were all rigged with flip phones, leading investigators to believe that the two blasts might be connected, and multiple senior law enforcement officials told NBC that the suspicious device discovered Sunday night in Elizabeth looked similar in appearance to the one that exploded Saturday morning in uh, in Seaside Park, New Jersey, before that uh, before that uh, marine event. The main suspect, of course, is now in all of these incidents, uh, is in custody. His name is Ahmad Rahami. He was shot in the leg. He managed to shoot one police officer in the uh, in the hand and another in a bulletproof vest during a confrontation at 10.30 a.m. local time in Linden, New Jersey, on Monday morning. According to law enforcement, the injuries sustained by Rahami, who was being treated at a local hospital, and the officer's injuries do not appear to be life-threatening. President Obama reassured a nervous nation that law enforcement was on the case in remarks the president made today. You know, at moments like this, uh, I think it's important to remember what terrorists and violent extremists are trying to do. Uh, They are trying to hurt innocent people, but they also want to inspire fear in all of us and disrupt the way we live uh, to undermine our values. We all have a role to play as citizens in making sure that we don't succumb to that fear. Uh, And there's no better example of that than the people of New York and New Jersey. You know, folks around here, they don't get scared. Uh, They're tough, they're resilient, uh, they go about their business every single day. Uh, That's the kind of strength Uh, that uh, makes me so proud to be an American, and that's the kind of strength that is going to be absolutely critical, uh, not just in the days to come, but uh, in the years to come, by showing uh, those who want to do us harm that they will never beat us, by showing the entire world that as Americans we do not and never will give in to fear, uh, that's going to be the most important ingredient uh, in us defeating uh, those who would carry out terrorist acts against us. That was the president responding to the uh, string of terror attacks over the last several days in New York and New Jersey. Rahami, who lives in Elizabeth, New Jersey, was identified as a suspect after a fingerprint was found on one of the devices that had failed to detonate. Uh, officials also found more information pointing to Rahami on 
on the cell phones that were wired to the unexploded bombs, according to officials. Rahami was caught hours after a backpack that appeared to contain pipe bombs exploded as a police robot examined it at a uh, at a New Jersey train station. That blast happened shortly before 1 a.m. Monday morning. Uh, Elizabeth Mayor Chris Bulwage told uh, reporters the bomb squad robot was cutting into the device when it exploded in his city. Uh, incredibly fast and good police work, it seems, in this case, uh, tracking down Rahami uh, in this matter. With his capture the uh, of this 28-year-old, a picture of the suspect, suspected terrorist responsible for the series of bombings began to emerge. He is apparently a uh, naturalized U.S. citizen of Afghani descent. He's from Elizabeth, New Jersey, uh, which was one of the cities targeted here. He was no stranger to law enforcement, reportedly. In August 2014, he was charged with aggravated assault and unlawful possession of a weapon. He was released after posting bail. But for reasons not immediately clear, uh, a Union County, New Jersey grand jury declined to indict him at that time. Uh, he was at the time living in Perth, Amboy, New Jersey, according to records. In 2011, Rahami's family filed a federal lawsuit against the city of Elizabeth, charging that police harassed them and their eatery, which was named First American Fried Chicken. Uh, they say they were harassed because they are Muslims. Uh, we know about Rahami that he attended uh, Middlesex Community College from 2010 to 2012. He was a criminal justice major, but he did not graduate, according to the college. He and uh, the other kids in the Rahami family pitched in. They worked behind the counter at the uh, at the chicken restaurant, a nearby businessman said. Washington Post reports that a childhood friend of Rahami said he used to play basketball with him at a, at a court a few blocks from the family's restaurant. He said he was shocked to see his picture. I said, no, not Muhammad's son. They were really nice. This according to uh, one of his friends, Flea Jones, who knew him as a child. Jones said that the family restaurant often gave him uh, water and free food. He and Ahmad used to, to do rap battles at the restaurant and hang out there late. Court records show that several members of the Rahami family have owned and operated the American Fried Chicken restaurant at the address uh, that was searched by the FBI on Monday. They've owned this restaurant since 2002. In 2011, the Rahami family sued the city of Elizabeth and several police officers, alleging that they had been inappropriately cited for keeping their business open past 10 p.m. They were and her, were harassed by police in the bargain. They said uh, that a man in the neighborhood had told them, quote, you are Muslims and Muslims make too much trouble in this country. And uh, that the man went on to complain unfairly to law enforcement, according to the uh, these court records in this suit. Uh, the man singled them out, quote, solely on an on animus against their religion, creed, race and national origin. In one instance, they alleged two Rahami family members were actually arrested for attempting to record a conversation with police officers. Um, so that's kind of what we know. There's a lot of information that has been out there about this guy and about this case that has been really bad information. So I'm going to not uh, pass on anything here that hasn't essentially been confirmed by a reputable source or two. 
Um, that's what we know at this time about uh, New York and New Jersey. Meanwhile, up in Minnesota, nine people were hurt in a knife rampage at a Minnesota mall during which the attacker made references to Allah, according to authorities. The suspect was shot dead by an off-duty police officer at the Crossroads Mall in St. Cloud. This began around 8 p.m. local time on Saturday. The suspect was wearing a private security uniform, according to officials. St. Cloud Police Chief Blair Anderson told reporters that the man was armed with at least one knife, quote, big enough to hurt someone. Don't know how big yet, but uh, an ISIS-affiliated news outlet claimed that the attacker in Minnesota was, quote, a soldier of the Islamic State. Uh, and uh, we are currently investigating this as a potential act of terrorism, and I do say potential, noted uh, FBI agent Richard Thomas of the agency's Minneapolis office in a news conference. We don't know whether the subject was in contact with, had connections with, or was inspired by a foreign terrorist organization, Thornton added. None of the nine people wounded suffered life-threatening injuries, and all but three had been released from the hospital by Sunday afternoon. That's uh, some very good news up there. I can only imagine how the news would not have been nearly as, uh, as encouraging up there in Minnesota had this attacker had a gun. Just saying. The suspect has been described uh, in Minnesota has been described as a lone attacker. No evidence that anyone else was uh, locally was involved, according to Chief Anderson. The cop who shot the alleged attacker has been identified as Jason Falconer. He's a part time officer with the Avon Police Department and a former police chief at Albany, Minnesota. Uh, he's being regarded as a hero today. The suspect's identity has not been publicly released as we go to air, but local Muslim and other religious leaders indicated that he was Somali. The central Minnesota Somali community is in distress, and we are afraid of the consequences of this incident, said the executive director of the St. Cloud Area Somali Salvation Organization at a news conference. He went on to say that our community in central Minnesota has no relationship with ISIS or any other Islamist terrorist group. He added that uh, much of the local Somali residents in, uh, in St. Cloud had fled there to escape groups like ISIS. We are being made again to suffer for their acts, he said. They are minorities in our faith. Islam is peace. Jelani Hussein, the Minnesota Executive Director for the Council on American-Islamic Relations, stressed that this is an act of an individual. Quote, we are all shocked, just like you, and we are all grieving just like you, Hussein said, adding we are concerned about the potential for backlash. At the same time, he said, this is a tragedy that affects all people in, uh, in St. Cloud, and there is an opportunity for the community to come together which I uh, suspect and hope they will. Donald Trump and his supporters on social media presented a combination I would describe of uh, freakout and almost glee after the initial reports of the blasts in New, New York and New Jersey and the stabbings in Minnesota. It was actually uh, kind of amazing watching as this was uh, happening over the weekend. I guess I shouldn't be amazed uh, the point of terror, of course, as the president uh, said, is to terrorize people. And the point of Donald Trump's campaign uh, also seems to be based on terrorizing people. So moments like this seem to be uh, celebrated in a perverse sort of way by these folks, uh, some of whom are the same folks 
responsible, remember, for the attacks against Muslims across the country, which we detailed last week. Uh, According to The New York Times today and a a telephone interview with Fox News that lasted most of a half hour, Mr. Trump sketched a dark picture of the country as being under siege from international terrorists and handcuffed in its ability to respond. I don't know that they were handcuffed. They responded pretty quickly, it seems to me. Trump asserted that law enforcement was being held back from intervening against suspected terrorists because of sensitivity about racial profiling. Trump also declared that there were foreign connections behind the attacks. He offered no evidence for either assertion. He said there's many foreign connections. Uh, I think this is one group, okay? This is one group, but you have many, many groups because we're allowing these people to come into our country and destroy our country because of Mr. Uh, because of political correctness. Mr. Trump said the police shy away from stopping even somebody who looks like he's got a massive bomb on his back. That is, of course, complete and utter BS. For her part, Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton spoke to reporters at an airplane hangar in White Plains, New York, today about the attacks, citing Donald Trump's rhetoric against Muslims as giving aid and comfort to those who want to harm the U.S. A lot of the rhetoric we've heard from Donald Trump has been seized on by terrorists, in particular ISIS, uh, because they are looking to make this into a war against Islam. Rather than a war against jihadists, violent terrorists, people who number in the maybe tens of thousands, not the tens of millions, they want to use that to recruit more fighters to their cause by turning it into a religious conflict. That's why I've been very clear. We're going after the bad guys and we're going to get them. But we're not going to go after an entire religion and give ISIS exactly what it's wanting in order for them to enhance their positions. Secondly, we know that Donald Trump's comments have been used online for recruitment of terrorists. We've heard that from former CIA director Michael Hayden who made it a very clear point when he said Donald Trump is being used as a recruiting sergeant for the terrorists. We also know from the former head of our counterterrorism center, Matt Olson, uh, that the kinds of rhetoric and language that Mr. Trump has used is giving aid and comfort to our adversaries. That was Hillary Clinton, uh, the Democratic presidential nominee today at uh, speaking on the uh, the terror attacks over the past weekend in uh, in White Plains, New York. In response, the Trump campaign issued a statement criticizing Clinton for accusing Donald Trump of treason. Now, while Clinton did not use the word treason in her press conference uh, early Monday morning, her comments did mirror the language in the U.S. legal definition of treason. When she said, we also know from the former head of our counterterrorism center, Matt Olson, that the kinds of rhetoric and language that Mr. Trump has used is giving aid and comfort to our adversaries. The Trump camp released this statement in response. Hillary Clinton's comments today accusing Mr. Trump of treason are not only beyond the pale, it's also an attempt to distract from her horrible record on ISIS. If Clinton really wants to find the real cause of ISIS, she needs to take a long, hard look in the mirror. 
The decision to remove all American troops from Iraq in 2011, which was vigorously supported by Clinton, created the vacuum that led to the founding of ISIS. Now, just to be clear here, let me jump into the statement to say that this decision to remove all troops from Iraq in 2011 was a decision made by the previous administration, by the George W. Bush administration, in an agreement that was signed with Iraq that actually Barack Obama had opposed and tried to change to keep troops there. But Iraq opposed that, and uh, thus the uh, the troops were withdrawn. Uh, nonetheless, uh, describing that point as the vacuum that led to the founding of ISIS, as opposed to the original attack on Iraq, which Donald Trump supported. Yes, Hillary Clinton did as well. She has since admitted she was wrong to do so. Donald Trump has since lied about the fact that he did, in fact, support that attack. Going back to the Trump camp statement, they say nothing she says or does can ever unring that bell of withdrawing the troops uh, from Iraq. The only thing we can expect from a Hillary Clinton presidency is more attacks on our homeland and more innocent Americans being hurt and killed. That statement from Donald Trump's senior communication advisor, Jason Miller. That's where things stand at this uh, at this moment. Meanwhile, very real threats to the entire planet that Donald Trump continues to ignore entirely, and subsequently so does the corporate media uh, for the most part. Those threats continue to be aided and abetted by federal, state, and local governments uh, who continue with the ever-increasing use of fossil fuels and the infrastructure uh, to ensure that this particular menace continues for generations. We've been covering the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe's courageous attempt to protect its reservation and nearby sacred lands from the dangers posed by a massive new oil pipeline up there in the northwest, the Dakota Access Pipeline. And we've now got some fresh news in that regard, along with a very disturbing massive new leak in an already existing pipeline down in the southeast. Both of those stories, plus much more, are next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yeah, we're heading down to uh, Alabama here momentarily. Desi Doyen, I didn't even get to say hello to you at the top of the show. Hello. Are you terrified? I am not. What? Sorry. Uh, I'm a bad Trump American. I know. And you also lived uh, in New York City uh, years ago in that very area where those uh, attacks and attempted attacks happened. So, uh, but you're not scared, huh? No, no, yeah. I'm not. Neither are any of my friends still in New York. You're like, oh, okay, here we go. Yeah, well, I guess they're not Trump supporters because they are terrified. In any event, uh, moving on, we have been covering on this program the last week or two the uh, the attempts by the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe up in North Dakota to uh, stop, to protect against the construction of the Dakota Access Pipeline up there in North Dakota that will run 
from the Bakken uh, Shale uh, from North Dakota all the way down to Illinois. They had uh, gone to court in D.C., the D.C. Circuit Court, to try to get an injunction to stop the construction of that pipeline on their uh, on their tribal lands and on their sacred uh, sacred tribal lands nearby their reservation. That was rejected by a judge uh, about a week or so ago, and no sooner was it rejected than the Obama administration came out and themselves put a halt on the construction of this pipeline, at least a temporary halt uh, around the uh, around the sacred lands up there. In the meantime, the tribe went to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, to try to appeal that uh, judge's original decision. And no sooner did we get off the air on Friday than the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, in fact, did halt work on the Dakota Access Pipeline for 20 miles on both sides of the uh, of the Missouri River at uh, Lake Oahe up there. That's good news. Yeah, that's great news. Of course, it's only a temporary right. administrative hold. The judges were very clear that this should not be considered an, a, an mm-hmm. aspect of the merit of the request. So they were very clear on that. This is only uh, in response to the emergency motion as the judge, uh, as the court writes, for injunction pending appeal and should not be construed in any way as a ruling on the merits. So that's going to uh, hold it only through the time that the court gets to hear the case fully. Uh, so that's what's going on. That's the current state of the story of the uh, of the fight against the dirty oil pipeline in uh, in the northwest. Meantime, in the southeast, according to Dennis Pillion at the Alabama Media Group's AL.com, who have been doing a great job to date covering this story. Uh, on the morning of September 9, an inspector with the Alabama Surface Mining Commission was performing a routine monthly check of an old coal mine in Shelby County, Alabama. Boy, Shelby County is in the news a lot these days. Uh, In Shelby County, Alabama, when he noticed a strong odor of gasoline as well as a sheen on the surface of one of the retention ponds at the old mine. The gasoline he was smelling came from Colonial Pipelines Line Number 1, an underground pipeline three feet in in diameter that normally pushes 1.3 million barrels of gasoline per day from refineries in Houston to distribution centers across the southeast and along the eastern seaboard. That 36-inch pipeline built back in 1963, has been estimated to supply the East Coast of the U.S. with up to 40% of its gasoline supply. Colonial Pipeline initiated a shutdown of Line 1 within 20 minutes of receiving the report about a potential leak. Estimates from officials late last week were that some 225,000 gallons of gasoline had leaked from the line before the rupture was discovered by an apparent accident or or coincidence, I guess, in this case, that section of pipeline remains closed for now and more than a week after the initial discovery of the leak. Officials estimate uh, the, the official estimates have now climbed to some three hundred and thirty six thousand gallons of lost gasoline. More than seven hundred people were working around the clock to dig up the pipe over the weekend to plug the leak and to clean up the old mining property south of Birmingham and restore supply. With the flow of gasoline currently interrupted, the governors of six states have declared a state state of emergency to allow truck drivers to work longer shifts 
to head off shortages at the pumps. Joining us now is Dennis Pillion, who's been covering this for AL.com. He's there, uh, the statewide nat- natural resources reporter for the Alabama Media Group. He's been with AL.com since 2007. Dennis Pillion, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Great to have you. Uh, this is a, this is a large pipeline, uh, as you report, both in, in size, about three feet in diameter and length. I think it runs through nearly a dozen states from Texas up to New York and New Jersey. Much of the coverage I've seen focuses on gas supply shortages uh, due to the leak from uh, from Alabama up through the eastern seaboard. But I've got some other concerns, frankly, uh, but, but and that I want to get to in a moment about the cleanup and so forth. But what do we know so far about the supply of gas and how that is now being dealt with uh, in, in the region there and the shortages down there in, uh, in Alabama and, and nearby areas? Sure. Well, I will say that uh, maybe some other areas are feeling the shortages worse than we are here. Uh, the, the leaking pipeline is actually still running up into western Alabama, um, and so from there they're able to to put it on trucks and kind of ship it around Alabama. Um, so we have not seen any major outages and only kind of a modest price increase Um but I understand the situation over in Georgia, uh, in Tennessee, and in parts of North and South Carolina. Uh, they're having a lot more, you know, gas pumps that say sold out, and mm. uh, they're seeing some pretty steep price increases in places. A- Alabama Governor Robert Bentley had declared that it is unlawful for any person within the state of Alabama to impose unconscionable prices for the sale of any commodity during the period of a declared state of emergency. Has there been any uh, signs yet of of that type of uh, price spike, which I guess would be illegal, according to the governor, either in Alabama or in these other states? And I don't know if the states of emergency in those other states also uh, make it unlawful uh, to uh, spike prices for gas. Uh, Do you know anything along those lines yet? Uh, So I I have not seen reports of that in Alabama. Uh, Maybe they are taking the governor at his word that he'll he'll come after them if they try to raise prices. Uh, I I did see, and this just happened, so I'm still uh, tracking down the details, but Mm -hmm. it it does appear the governor of Georgia uh, just this afternoon uh, issued an order to effectively freeze the gas prices and prevent some of those prices from spiking. Mm. Uh, well, that's good to know. Uh, but the original estimate here of this leak, as you had reported last week, was some 225,000 gallons. I found in, in similar cases, other pipeline leaks and, and oil train explosions and so forth, that the companies tend to lowball the initial estimates, uh, which end up climbing much higher. That seems to have happened, at least in part, with the Colonial Pipeline leak here. Uh, the later estimate now at 336 gallons. Has there been any update on that number and or independent confirmation from another source like the EPA or one of the state and local agencies uh, monitoring the spill as far as the number goes? So we, we have not had an update since that number. Uh, the EPA and the Alabama Department of Environmental Management, they are on the scene and they uh, w- were... I guess, collaborating with Colonial to come up with that number. They are still 10 days after this leak was discovered uh, having issues with accessing the area right around the leak. Those estimates are based on the size of a mining retention pond that has collected a lot of this gasoline. So they're kind of figuring 
how much how thick the how thick the gasoline is mm-hmm. in that pond and how big that pond is, mm-hmm. and that's where they got the estimate. So I would uh, not be surprised if that estimate changed before this is all over. What's the problem getting access to the site? I know initially it was fumes and so forth, as you reported, that uh, they couldn't get near because of the gas fumes were so bad, that sort of toxic fumes. What's the holdup now, a, a, a week, almost a week later after the discovery of this? Well, the, the holdup, you know, we have not you know, been granted access to the site. Obviously, there's still... Uh, very legitimate concerns about safety and health issues there, but they say the fumes are still a concern even 10 days later. Wow. Um, we've had, they've said, we've had some relatively calm weather, which is good in one sense, and that if we had a lot of rain, it might push the gasoline to other places. But with with a lack of winds, uh, those, the fumes are tending to just kind of sit over the site, and they are not dissipating uh, quickly at all. Is there, is there a concern about expl- uh, an explosion uh, that could happen with all of this uh, gasoline out there? Have you heard the discussion of that? I have. I, I talked to both EPA and there are some local uh, emergency management officials on the scene. And now, and they say that the, the threshold of, of those gasoline vapors where you would be concerned about health problems is about 10% of the threshold that you would have to have for combustion or for an explosion. So they say that they are above the health effects threshold, mm-hmm. but still well below the threshold that you would need for uh, the for an explosion of the vapors. Uh, I got you. Well, that, that's good, at least. Uh, w- with the, uh, you had reported originally uh, this leak being discovered by seeming accident, and I guess a lucky draw that it went into this holding pond, this old uh, coal mine holding pond, but that was... The discovery was on September 9, and I note your your first reporting on this was at uh, at AL.com was on September 11. How long after the discovery of the rupture did officials notify the public about it? Was it a full two days before we heard about it? And, and do we have any idea when the rupture actually occurred initially? We know it was discovered on the 9th, but how long might it have been leaking by that point? That is something we're still trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, as you mentioned, it's it's an, ab- it's an abandoned coal mine, a surface coal mine. So not a place that a lot of people would go to on a regular basis. So we don't know when it would have started leaking. Um, Colonial does say that they monitor their lines twice a week by air, uh, looking for evidence of leaks, you know, dead vegetation, sheens on water, that kind of thing. And they said they did not notice anything in their air patrols, nor did they notice uh, by volume that they were losing product. They, they they monitor their underground pipeline by air. Is that what I understand? Yeah, that is correct. They told me they uh, they fly twice a week. They do air patrols to uh, to observe and to look for, like I said, yeah. dead or dying vegetation and uh, possible evidence of oil on water. Do these pipelines, to your knowledge, uh, Dennis, have, have no actual mechanism to let officials know when they spring a leak, other than either you know spotting it from the air once you know vegetation has died, or hoping some guy happens to notice it while in in the area? I mean, I, it seems like there ought to be some uh, you know pressure signals or warnings. Is there nothing like that built into this pipeline? 
Um, so they, they have said they did not have any indication. I think we're going to be working hard here in the next weeks and months to uh, to bring that story to you and to figure out exactly what the systems are. Wow. Uh, who bears legal? What? Well, two questions, I guess, here. What is the status of the cleanup at this point? Uh, and uh, who bears the legal responsibility for the cleanup? Is it the pipeline? I guess the pipeline company uh, doesn't actually own the gasoline. They're just uh, pumping through other people's gas. So who ultimately uh, bears responsibility for this cleanup? Is it the companies or the, ultimately the, the responsibility of the state and federal government here? Uh, it is the company's uh, responsibility to clean up the spill and and as far as I can tell, they have been. Um, they have a number of their own employees, as well as uh, literally hundreds of outside contractors that they've brought in. Um, they are actively pumping that retention pond site, um, and they are kind of bringing the whatever the the vapors allow them access to it. Mm -hmm. They are pumping that material into trucks and bringing it back to a facility they have in Pelham, Alabama, which is maybe uh, six or ten miles away, and uh, they, they begin treating the gasoline there. Um, treating, it so, treating it so they can resell the, gas, uh, the gasoline? That is correct, yes. Well, that's, uh, that's the most important thing. How, how, uh, have, have they found the source point for the actual uh, rupture, and do they know any uh, reason, if they have, uh, any reason why it occurred? They do not. The pipeline is still underground. Uh, on Friday, that would be the 16th, they they started the process of excavating the pipeline. Uh, but again, the apparently the fumes and the vapors were not conducive to working. Um, on Saturday, the 17th, they announced that they were going to actually construct a bypass uh, around the leaking section. Um, so they are building about a 700-foot temporary pipeline around the leak area, uh, and they're hoping that will let them restart the line this week, is what they say. Um, and then they say once the line is restarted and, and the uh, gas shortage concerns are over, then they can go in, uh, the vapors will have dissipated, and they can continue, they can start digging out the, the line that is damaged and figuring out uh, how it happened. I'm speaking with Dennis Pillion. He's the uh, natural resources reporter for the Alabama Media Group at AL.com, who's been covering this uh, the, the leak of the Colonial Pipeline down in Shelby County, Alabama. Uh, Dennis, what's the... Um, uh, I know that uh, emergency responders uh, couldn't get there initially because of the overwhelming toxic fumes. But what is the area like where the spill occurred? And do, do nearby residents, are there nearby residents? And do they need to be concerned either about fumes or gasoline leaking into the groundwater and uh, and the drinking water around there at this time? So the, it is, um, it's an abandoned coal mine. The, uh, the EPA... On-scene coordinator there tells me that the nearest residence is about two and a half miles away. Mm -hmm. So it is a fairly remote section of the county. Uh, Shelby County is just south of Birmingham, and and a lot of that is really kind of the uh, the extended suburban footprint of the city. Um, I'd say it's maybe, depending on traffic, 30, 45 minutes by car. So a lot of people live in that area and commute into Birmingham. Um 
I'm sorry, what was your other question? Uh, well, about, uh, the, well, the residents, I know there was some concern about uh, groundwater, the gas leaking into the groundwater oh, sure. and so forth uh, f- for nearby residents. Sure. So EPA and the uh, the emergency, uh, the local emergency officials on the scene there, they say that the, the local residents are far enough away that they are not uh, in danger from the fumes. Um, the the road, it's only a dirt road that provides access to this site, and that's been blocked off about two miles away. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they feel they have a safe perimeter around there, and they are monitoring groundwater, they say, for, for signs of contamination. And also, the Cahaba River is about one mile away from this site, mm-hmm. and the Cahaba River has numerous threatened and endangered species under the Endangered Species Act. Uh, There are snails and mussels and fish in the Cahaba that are found nowhere else in the world. So it's also a major concern that the gasoline not reach the Cahaba River. And and from everything we're hearing, uh, Colonial Pipeline and the EPA and even the Cahaba Riverkeeper, the local environmental group, Mm -hmm. so far they're saying that that's not happening, that the gasoline is not reaching this river. And and I want to ask you some specifics about that, but just before we move to that, just to be clear, this seems like an incredibly, is it an incredibly lucky coincidence that it just happened to leak into an old abandoned coal mine holding pond and that all the gas seems to be located right now in this one pond? Is that just a, a freak of, 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 of nature, a lucky break here? It, it certainly seems that way, and a lot of people have said that. Um, you know, personally, I'm going to maybe hold off and wait and see uh, what the long-term impacts are, but mm-hmm. it, it certainly seems that we might have uh, caught an incredibly lucky break there. Uh, you mentioned the Cahaba River, uh, and it is home, as you've been reporting, to 135 known species of fish, uh, 35 uh, snail species, 10 of which are not found anywhere else in the world, 10 species of fish and mussels uh, are listed as threatened or endangered under the Endangered Species Act. Um, the Cahaba River, uh, the Cahaba River Keepers Group, you quoted uh, David Butler and his suggestion that the location of the leak and the dry condition in the area may have also been a lucky break in the air in this case how, how does the uh, the dry conditions there how how has that helped in this case sure well well there are some tributaries to the Cahaba that are kind of intermittent streams and right now the, those are dry creek beds mm. um, maybe you know certainly if we had a large rain event after the spill had happened and even maybe before you know, those dry creek beds could have been a conduit to carry the gasoline down into the Cahaba mm-hmm. River. Um, and the, the Cahaba River National Wildlife Refuge is also just a few miles downstream. Well, that is that's another lucky break. Um, you quote uh, Butler, David Butler, with Cahaba Riverkeepers, saying that the uh, the riverkeepers are often left out of emergency response situations and treated as adversaries by the companies involved, but Butler said he has this has not been the case in this incident. He went as far as to say that officials' cooperation with his group has been good this time around and that they seem genuinely concerned. He said, I keep shaking my head and thinking, am I still in Alabama, he said. Uh, any idea what what the explanation is for that? That is good news if it's true. Any idea why this uh, change in uh, you know response from officials? And are you seeing a different type of response this time around? Uh, 
Uh, I mean, I think the difference is is at a corporate level, probably. You know, a lot of companies, they view the, the river keepers and other environmental groups in the area kind of as adversaries, as, you know, they're they're trying to uh, to halt development or, you know, prevent them from doing the things that they'd like to do. Um, but, I mean, Colonial has, to their credit, uh, I've, I've had a lot of people tell me more than just David Butler that they've really been proactive about trying to do everything they can in response to the spill and that everything they've done after the spill is that they've been very complimentary. That, well, that's good news. I'll, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll feel better about it once it's actually once they allow people like you, journalists, and the uh, folks like Dan Butler into the area to see it for themselves. You, you cover environmental issues across the state of Alabama, Dennis Pillion. How often do uh, pipeline leaks like this uh, tend to occur down there? Um, this we actually, it's it's not the biggest leak that Colonial has had. Um, they've they've had another large one in South Carolina, which at the end of the day they may be similar type situations, but we we don't know uh, we don't have a good estimate on the volume of this spill yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it does seem to be fairly unusual to have a spill of this magnitude. There seems to be an increased concern or awareness right now, I, I guess, of the dangers posed by oil and gas pipelines uh, like this one that that ruptured down there in Shelby County. Uh, thanks, I suspect, to the attention, the increased attention that has been brought to concerns about the Keystone XL pipeline and, and now the Dakota Access pipeline construction, as I, I uh, we discussed at the top of this segment. Are you sensing more of a concern about these things in Alabama at this point, or is it still sort of uh, business as usual when it comes to fossil fuels down in the southeast? Well, I think uh, until about two weeks ago or one week ago, uh, very few people in Alabama even knew this pipeline was here or right. how much gasoline was actually flowing through it. <laughs> Um, you know, it was, it was not, uh, I suppose with pipelines under, they're underground, you don't hear anything about them until something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, generally Alabama tends to be a more conservative state. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we have, uh, we're trying to, to, you know, some of us, some people are trying to go beyond fossil fuels and that sort of thing, but, uh, you know, there's still... I wouldn't say it's a sleeping movement in this part of the country. And uh, on that point, I got just a minute or two here. Uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr. Uh, was speaking to the to the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe up in North Dakota last week on a video. Uh, the, the folks who are up there now uh, p- protecting against the Dakota Access Pipeline. Uh, Kennedy said there's now a rush to put infrastructure in place for fossil fuels uh, such as oil, gas, and even coal, as the price per megawatt for clean, renewable energy is now pretty much in line, uh, in parity with, with those dirty fuels. Uh, what's the state of, of, of infrastructure concerning both dirty and renewable fuels in Alabama at this time? Are we seeing that push that Kennedy was referring to for more fossil fuel infrastructure, and are, are we seeing uh, the emergence of, uh, of of renewable energy? I know it's, you know, conservative Alabama, but are we seeing uh, more uh, solar and wind projects and so forth down there? Uh, I would say you're seeing a mixture of both, actually, which is rather interesting. Um, you know, obviously, uh, Drummond Coal Company is one of the larger 
employers here, or traditionally was one of the larger employers here in Alabama. Uh, they have fallen on hard times lately, and mm-hmm. the the utility, the major utility, which covers about two thirds of the state, is Alabama Power, uh, which is part of Southern Company, and and they uh, have some some policies in place for residential solar that a lot of people think are, are holding the industry back. Um, but at the same time, they've kind of embarked on their own larger-scale solar projects uh-huh. as the price keeps coming down. Mm-hmm. So I would say it's, it's kind of a mixed bag, really. You have, uh, you have, there are some areas where we're definitely trending toward cleaner energy, cleaner technology, and, and there are still uh, some holdouts, I would say. Well, I, I want to uh, say before I let you go, Dennis, I've uh, really enjoyed your reporting at AL.com, uh, not just on this story, but on other uh, uh, natural resources uh, stories down there in Alabama. It's good to see that in the uh, so-called red you know, southeast uh, part of the country. So I, I greatly appreciate your coverage there, and I hope you'll uh, you'll not mind if we bother you both about this story and others down uh, in the region in the near future. Anytime. And, you know, if I could add one thing, sure. I've, uh, in some of my early stories, I, you know, kind of made mention to Alabama being a red state. And it definitely is if you would look at a presidential election or even the local government. But mm-hmm. people here love their land. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. and they love their natural resources and their parks and their woods. And, I mean, that's, that's where a lot of people grow up, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they really have strong connections. And so while a lot of times they, they tend to be more conservative and they might, you might imagine uh, that the state as a whole would be opposed to some, you know, conservation tactics, mm-hmm. they really do care about the land and they really uh, are capable of, of making their voice be heard on issues like that. That's encouraging news, and I know we've covered on this program uh, in, in years past. I know, uh, you know, there's sort of this this uh, confluence uh, between the right and the left when it comes to things like solar. Uh, you know, the left likes solar power because it's it's clean, it's renewable, and so forth. Uh, the right tends to like it because they like to have control over their own, uh, you know, their own energy, their own power at their own house, and so forth. And I know that uh, there are areas down there that uh, folks have come together for that. Fight against the power companies who are trying to, as as you noted, Dennis, to sort of, you know, they like these utility-controlled, these great big solar arrays, but when it comes to allowing people to put them on their houses, uh, it, it, they're, they're not quite as, uh, as comfortable with, you know, people getting their own free power. But that is a place where it seems like people have come together on the right and left for residential solar. Is that the sort of thing? Are you seeing that down there in Alabama? You are, you are. There, there are some pretty large policy barriers to overcome there, mm-hmm. uh, but there, there are, I would say, a growing number of people working on it, both from the from the environmental uh, motivations mm-hmm. and just from the the energy freedom motivations. Yeah. That if I want to put solar panels on my roof, who is the power company to tell me I have to pay a fee for doing it? Yeah, it's it's kind of remarkable, and that seems to be where we're moving towards. So. I uh, hope folks on uh, both the right and left figure out that scam and take on those uh, those uh, utility companies in that regard. Uh, we'll talk about that, I suspect, in the future. Dennis Pillion of the uh, of AL.com, uh, the Alabama Media Group. Follow his work there on this uh, spill, which is uh, superb, and on everything else he does. You can also follow him on the Twitters at Dennis Pillion. Thanks for joining us today, Dennis. 
Thank you so much. All right, a quick break, and we're back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Yeah, presidential politics. Stand by. Hey, this is Brad. What the public hears over the public airwaves matters. Without an informed electorate, we've got, well, we got what we have right now. We do our best on the broadcast five days a week to balance that with accurate reporting on issues that actually matter. We don't always get it right, but we try like hell to do so. And we do it all independently and without the influence of corporate or political funding. But we can't do it without you. Please don't presume others will step up. We need you to help us keep doing what Desi Doyen and myself try to do every day on the broadcast. Please help us continue to do so by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep the broadcast going and telling the truth over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. Don't wait. Please stop by today. Thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I received some uh, email over the weekend from uh, Roger F. You can send me email as well. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. Roger said, hi, Brad, longtime listener and supporter of you and Desi here. Listening to your podcast is a daily must do for me. Thank you, Roger. During Friday's show, I was a bit disappointed, however, in your coverage of the Bernie interview on Morning Joe. In the past, you've discussed the topic of third-party safe state voting, including using California as a prime example. But last night, you made no mention of this. He was, uh, Roger was referring to the the interview that Bernie Sanders did on MSNBC last week in which he said that uh, speaking as a third-party candidate himself, as an independent, uh, he says now is not the time to vote third party um, and uh, encourage people to vote for Hillary Clinton in that case. Uh, and and Roger's right. I, I have often said that, you know, if you live in a safe state like California, I don't think I've used the word safe state, but in a state like California, which we pretty much know is going to go uh, Democratic, uh, then, you know, feel free to vote for uh, a third party if you like. Uh, or even a state like Texas, which will probably go to Donald Trump. Feel free to vote third party, but be very careful if you live in a in a swing state uh, before casting a third party vote. Uh, you know, at this point, I'm not quite as confident as I was that even states like California and and Texas are quote unquote safe states anymore. I'm really not. So be damn careful. I don't care who you vote for. We'll never tell you who to vote for. But uh, be damn careful when you cast that vote that you know what the what the results might end up being. We've got a new poll from uh, CBS, uh, CBS News Battleground tracking poll showing Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump now tied across 13 battleground states, according to this new poll on Sunday. That same poll had given Clinton a one-point advantage last week. She was up by two points over Labor Day weekend. They are now essentially tied in all of those 13 battleground states, not each one, but taken in total. Meanwhile, the CBS uh, notes 55 percent of battleground voters want to see, quote, big changes in politics and the economy in the next few years, while 43 percent want, quote, some change and 2 percent thinks uh, think everything's fine. Go figure. 
Um, this uh, this uh, 86% of Democrats say the U.S. would be damaged beyond repair if Trump wins. However, 83% of Republicans think the same thing is true if uh, Hillary Clinton wins. Barack Obama, for his part, was speaking at the Congressional Black Caucus dinner over the weekend uh, and uh, made some pretty remarkable uh, comments, I thought, uh, saying that both hope and fear are on the ballot this year. If I hear anybody saying their vote does not matter, that it doesn't matter who we elect, read up on your history. It matters. We've got to get people to vote. In fact, if you want to give Michelle and me a good send-off, don't just watch us walk off into the sunset now. Get people registered to vote. If you care about our legacy, realize everything we stand for is at stake. All the progress we've made is at stake in this election. My name may not be on the ballot, but our progress is on the ballot. Tolerance is on the ballot. Democracy is on the ballot. Justice is on the ballot. Good schools are on the ballot. Ending mass incarceration, that's on the ballot right now. And there is one candidate who will advance those those things. And there is another candidate whose defining principle, the central theme of his candidacy, is opposition to all that we've done. There's no such thing as a vote that doesn't matter. It all matters. And after we have achieved historic turnout in 2008 and 2012, especially in the African-American community, I will consider it a personal insult, an insult to my legacy, if this community lets down its guard and fails to activate itself in this election. You want to give me a good send-off? Go vote! And I'm going to be working as hard as I can these next seven weeks to make sure folks do. Hope is on the ballot. And fear is on the ballot, too. Hope is on the ballot and fear is on the ballot, too. President Obama's uh, remarks to the Congressional Black Caucus dinner over the weekend. Remarkable comments, frankly, from a sitting president. I don't know that we've ever seen a sitting president uh, go to bat uh, so much for a uh, for a successor or a possible successor. Uh, anyway, uh, my thanks to our producer today, Desi Doyen, to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you want to drop me email, I can be reached at bradcast at bradblog.com. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at the Brad Blog. And if you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, where you can leave us comments as well. My thanks also to my guest today, Dennis Pillion of the Alabama Media Group. Check out his work at al.com. And check out us next time. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.